All right. Hey, good morning. My name is Andrew. So glad you're here. I, I love the chorus of kiddos. Um, some of you are like, give me a Will Smith across the face. But, um, you know, we, I love having kids in the room. Kids, welcome. So glad you're here. A couple of reasons why we think this is so important to do once in a while. We're doing it every fifth Sunday, which is about four times a year. Um, one is we just think kids are important. They're part of the family. And so they should be in the room with us sometimes uh, to see what the old people are doing. Right. Um, but another reason, really an important reason is because um, they can benefit from this time. We have over the last couple months, three of our own kids in our ministry here who have come to put their faith in Jesus. Uh, back on Easter Sunday, Sunday afternoon after church, uh, you know, after we had everyone in the room, uh, Tate Davis, one of our young little men, seven years old, uh, Tate put his faith in Jesus um, on Easter Sunday. And then two weeks ago, he was baptized as one of five kids overall who were being baptized on a Sunday morning. And based on that, we had our kids in the room for the baptism. We had a couple of our kids, uh, Will and Bethany Keller's uh, uh, son, Benjamin, who's getting ready to turn eight in a couple weeks. He had some questions coming out of baptisms on Sunday morning, ended up putting his faith in Jesus, and then followed that up with Quincy, his sister, who was six, uh, gave her life to Jesus. And so what an amazing, amazing thing. Amen. Uh, in part, I would say in part, not just because of their parents' investment in them and not just because of our kids' ministry, but because they were part of the family and they got to experience worship. And I just want to say this, our goal for our kids is not to teach them how to behave and be really quiet in church. Okay, that's not our goal. Our goal is that our kids would know and worship the same God that we know and worship. Amen? And so if they make a little noise, that's all right, because some of y'all are too quiet. All right, we need some more amens and some more chatter and some more talking back. All right, so I'm so glad we have kids in the room. We have been working through this year of discipleship, which is all about growing in our relationship with God through his word. And so we've been in this Bible reading plan, F260. Uh, if you haven't joined us on that Bible reading plan, now is the time for you to start. Um, I just talked to someone this morning who started this week and is loving it. So we're in week number 22. No need to catch up with us. Just jump right in with us. We have Bible reading plans over at Next Steps. Some of our kids are going through foundations for kids, uh, which is the same Bible reading plan. Uh, so awesome. We're in this series called Kings and Kingdoms. Today's the last week of this. We've been looking at the kings and the kingdoms of Israel, God's people. And last week we started talking about prophets. Prophets are really important people in the story of God and in the Old Testament. They spoke for God. They called people to God. And so because Israel had all kinds of bad, evil kings, God used these prophets to call those kings and those, the nation back to God. And last week we saw this huge showdown between uh, a prophet of God, one of God's main men, Elijah, and 450 false prophets. They were false prophets because they represented a false god. They worshipped a false god named Baal. And so it was Elijah, the prophet of God, versus the 450 false prophets. And Elijah threw down this challenge to the false prophets. He says, hey, let's each of us prepare a sacrifice and whichever one of our gods responds by fire, that is the true God. And as we looked at that story, the false prophets for, through the morning and the afternoon, they're crying out to their God to Baal. And what did they hear? Nothing. Crickets, right? And then in the evening, in the evening offering, here comes Elijah who prays to his God, probably for a minute, 
And all of a sudden, boom, the fire falls from heaven. And God indeed proves that he is the one true God. It was an amazing story, an amazing, miraculous event in the life of God's people. God showed up and he showed off his power. And we said this last week, God didn't do that. He didn't fall, bring fire from heaven to impress everyone. So that everyone was like, ooh, ah, right? He, he wasn't there to like thrill everyone. He did what he did because he wanted the people to believe in him. He wanted their hearts. He wanted there to be no doubt that he was God and that he was powerful. And so that is what he did. So we said it this way last week, the fire of God falls in power so the people of God will fall on their faces in faith. God wants our hearts. But here's the question that I have this morning. Is this how God always shows up? Because what he did was pretty miraculous, pretty incredible, pretty spectacular. But does God have to show up in fireworks? And does he have to do something huge to prove that he's real or to prove to us that he loves us? Because I don't know about you, but I've never experienced something like this in my life, right? Maybe you've had something miraculous, some kind of fire from heaven kind of experience. But the question is, does God always show up this way? So here's what I want to do this morning is I want to go, we were in chapter 18 of 1 Kings last week when we saw this incredible, spectacular display of God's power. This week, we're going to follow that up in chapter 19. I think this is so important for us to see Chapter 19. So we're going to work through verses 1 through 18. We're just going to kind of talk through it and then um, apply it to ourselves. So 1 Kings 19, chapter 19, verse number 1, it says this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So let me explain the characters. Ahab, bad, evil king in Israel. Jezebel was his evil, wicked wife. Now, I don't make it a practice to, you know, talk smack about other men's wives, all right? But Jezebel was an evil, wicked woman. She, we saw earlier in 1 Kings, she killed many of God's prophets. And so Ahab, the bad king, tells his evil wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Jezebel is angry, she's furious, she wants revenge. She sends a messenger to Elijah to say, I'm coming after you. You have 24 hours to live, I'm coming after you. And so we see the response of Elijah in verse number three. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And so, Jezebel, who has killed prophets, is coming after Elijah, and he's afraid, and he's running for his life. So he comes off of this literal mountaintop experience, and now he's running for his life, and he's afraid. All right, so go to verse number four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. All right, just imagine a tree full of brooms, and you grab one and start sweeping, right? Uh, and, and he asked that he might die, saying, pay attention to this, he says, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah is discouraged. He's depressed. He, he's running for his life and he, he prays to the Lord and he says, God, I've had enough. I've had enough. And, and if you see what happens, he, he goes to sleep for a while. The angel of the Lord comes, provides him with food, and then he eats and he drinks, and then he lays down and sleeps again, and then he wakes up and eats again. And, you know, I just want to say this this morning is that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap and eat some cake, right? That's what God says in 1 Kings 19. And, you know, honestly, this sounds like a, like a Sunday afternoon for me. It's awesome after church. Go home and eat, sleep, wake up, eat, Go back to sleep. It's an awesome day. I love Sundays. It's the Lord's day. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is, is get rest and eat and take care of the physical needs. This is what God is doing here. He's